0: The following Dharma Talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Maybe you noticed, but, you know, one of the real shadows for um, whenever we dig into some of the teachings that have to do with concentration it can really trigger in us both a sense of attainment accomplishment look what i did i had a good set my mind got really peaceful i did that right so that's one shadow is somehow getting identified with whatever nice thing happened in our set and you can guess what the other shadow is is getting identified with Or terrible failure at the meditation and a mind that was distracted and thinking about superficial things or bothered by the pain in the knee or disturbed by some irritating sound or the sound of my voice or whatever it was. And one way or another, you know, we turn these instructions that are really about more specifically about training the mind we turn them into something that ultimately we use to beat ourselves up or to compare ourselves to other people but one way or another you know it's just more of the entanglements that entangle us but the solution to that problem isn't to avoid these teachings I mean basically What's going on here is the Buddha and Kidasaro, the person, one of the people who wrote the book, and the tradition, you know, our wise spiritual elders, those who have come before us and have learned a thing or two about the mind, about the heart, they're just sharing their understanding. And, you know, like an adventurer who's gone off to some undiscovered place, but, you know, before anybody else and comes back and, gives a little bit of the lay of the land and that's the way to understand this particular teaching that you'll find in chapter four on the five jonic factors now maybe just give me a sense most of you have your videos off but maybe the people have your video who have your videos on just maybe shake your hand if you've been reading chapter four like has anybody read chapter four so a couple of folks but most of you haven't okay that's that's helpful yeah so I'm going to go through the list one time relatively quickly and then I'm I'm going to have some time to hear from people and remember we're using this list of five mental factors that are related to this basic aspect of meditation that's about stabilizing present moment awareness and that list is called the five jhanic factors the word jhana Organic. it really means that unification that absorption unification here and now in the present moment as opposed to a mind that's scattered or dissipated or reactive right so when the mind is really fully here we call that mind is stable and it's unified in the present moment it's absorbed and it has a very particular flavor. So if you work with these five jonic factors, at least you know, maybe at the beginning of your sits, then you'll get very familiar. It's actually recognizing these factors that develop them. You bring them to mind, the concept, because you're hearing it tonight, or maybe you're gonna read the book or whatever. And then having heard it, then as you're sitting the next time. Oh yeah, Mark mentioned or the Buddha mentions this particular mental quality, mental capacity of connecting, this sustained attention, right? So there's connecting, there's sustaining, mentioned joy, mentioned ease, mentioned one pointedness or stillness or a kind of empty space. So these, are, you know, they have a, an energetic or visceral quality to them that will help you recognize them. And in recognizing them, you will strengthen them. They will become a more dominant, let's say, stronger uh, quality in the mind, not just when you're meditating, but just generally throughout your life. And in a way, that unification, like really showing up where everything in your mind and heart is all aligned in the service of seeing clearly what's happening in the present moment. That's called being a functional, competent human being, right? It's the thing that gets in the way of being a good, competent human being is the scatteredness. We're not really there. Like if we're going to be a good partner or a good parent, you know, we have to have some capacity to be fully there in our interactions. Even to be a good caretaker for this body, I can't be relating to my body in a superficial way. How do I know like whether to keep eating or whether I've had enough if I'm not in that Unified, like, not caught up in my no, I really like this dish, so I'm gonna eat more, which I tend to do, you know. But having that you know the the sort of uh, image the Buddha uses, and uh, Ketasaro mentions it in this chapter, but it's one of the descriptions the Buddha uses for jhana it's um, this sense of drenching or suffusing and he he uses the image of a you know back in the day you know 2500 years ago they would use some kind of soap powder and then they would work it you know knead it and it would become like a soap ball and every bit of the powder would be integrated with the water that was being mixed in and whipped up and kneaded in a way, right? So that at some point that the water, the bath powder would be kind of unified and could be spread everywhere so that no part of the mind and body would be untouched. So what this is the the Kind of direction it goes but it begins with that more assertive it has to be a more assertive energy where the mind is leaving behind its habit of being caught up in thought and it's connecting with something that's real here and now so it's not connecting with the thought of the breath but the actual physicality of breathing in and breathing out and so it leaves behind its mental proliferation for a moment with that energy of connecting and then right there next to it is the energy of sustaining which has a different quality of effort different quality of interest keeping the physicality of breathing in and breathing out or just keeping the present moment in mind so one is this more assertive intention to connect to sort of leave behind what I've been thinking about What i've been lost in with my thoughts and really wanting to drop in connect oh yeah this is how it is this is the next in breath and remember it's not about the breath we're just using the breath kind of as an example of what the mind the connecting mind vitaka, what it can connect with of course the mind the attention could connect with any number of phenomena in the present moment right And then how do we keep the present moment in mind? What's that intention to sustain, to not forget, keep in mind? And one of the ways it's talked about in the tradition is that each of these five qualities of the mind, jhanic factors, helps to remove one of the hindrances, those things that hinder this present moment awareness. So making the effort to connect helps the mind go beyond sleepiness and dullness and this is just a basic principle that we learn when we watch the mind making effort is energizing we always think well i need energy in order to make effort but actually it's the other way around if i do something i start having more energy if i continue to avoid doing anything what happens we don't get energized oh I don't have any energy so I'm going to sit on the couch well does that lead to more energy generally not you know we get more and more lethargic generally but if we start to do something there's energy there so it's said that that first factor of connecting will remove sloth and torpor sleepiness sustaining present moment awareness with the breath or whatever phenomena we're connecting with sustaining not forgetting keeping in mind that removes doubt because we're when we can sustain present moment awareness we're not in the realm of mental proliferation like you know if I take my hand and I touch my wrist right and I'm 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 going beyond the idea, the concept that my hand is touching my wrist and I'm going right to that, the warmth of that pressure and the contact, the sense of weight. See, there there's no doubt in the mind when I'm in the immediacy of touch or in the immediacy of hearing or the immediacy of seeing or even the immediacy of thoughts just being thoughts. Doubt, or right, doubt requires the mind entangled with thought, with concept. So if your mind is spinning, like, am I a good meditator? Did I hear it right? What the instructions are? Really uh, experiment with that sustaining quality. Really notice how you can find just the right kind of interest that keeps the present moment in mind. Now we'll be changing, you know, the breath is changing or whatever you're using, seeing, hearing, whole body awareness. It's going to be a dynamic thing. So keeping it in mind requires a real particular skill that we can strengthen in the mind. How to stay interested, how to value the sustaining of awareness and then doubt is removed from the mind. And then the third one, the joy that arises. The Pali word is piti. I'm just going to read a little bit from what uh, Kittasaro writes in this chapter. The experience of piti, or this joyful interest, rapture, is a fullness of being. The body and mind become suffused with awareness. We can access PT even in a moment when we remember to savor our experience. Bring attention to your body and you can do that now. Take, uh, bring attention to your body and then take a slow, long breath. As you breathe out, relax and consciously enjoy the sensations. Do this a few times and you'll experience the seed of piti, the pleasure that is possible in meditation. There's something enlivening, brightening and light about being in the immediacy of the present moment. In the same way, even like with relatively good stories and thoughts that we construct with our thinking mind, thinking, even wholesome thoughts, is relatively deadening. <laughs> this is a real insight. Even skillful thoughts, I mean, certainly neurotic thoughts are really heavy. When we when we can step outside of the little bubble of our heavy thoughts and taste what's been set in motion we'll really see, oh yeah having been lost in thought was deadening, was heavy was imprisoning in a way right, but even relatively neutral or wholesome thoughts can be exhausting for the mind and the Buddha says this in different ways uh, in the different discourses you know, even spinning with wholesome thoughts is exhausting for the mind so when we can connect the first factor and sustain present moment awareness then this lightness this joyful interest in the enlivened nature of reality the non-conceptual reality that's always here of course but it's obscured by our fixation on our you know the mind's fixed fixated on its thoughts about things its concepts and that, that creates an obscuration, like I'm attending to my thoughts about this, my mental interpretation of who I am, what I'm doing. And that, that's always heavy and stressful, even when it's relatively wholesome thoughts. And when we connect and sustain, that drops away to a large degree. And then the heart, the mind, experiences joy, piti. It's like everything is in motion, and because everything is in motion there's nothing fixed there's nothing that can be heavy or oppressive and so even in the very beginnings if we look you're going to notice that lightness now remember part of it part of the reason that we have a talk like this and that kiddo writes a chapter like this is we need to be encouraged to look so we now have this concept of meditative joy, piti, p-i-t-i, piti, and the i is like a long e sound, piti. So we have this concept of this meditative joy. So then we'll be curious. And especially with that curiosity, remember it's subtle, and initially it's going to be really faint. But by recognizing it there, in a sense in the background of the heart and mind, then it will... Over time with practice for periods of time it will come into the foreground more and more and it'll be very apparent the joy as you're breathing in and the joy as you're breathing out and then you'll naturally that rhythm of the breath is kind of like a that massaging or kneading and the joy the intention the very natural and appropriate intention is may this joy spread and touch every aspect of my being. Why wouldn't we, right? It's a very wholesome inner quality of joy. Why wouldn't we want it to drench and suffuse and touch every aspect of our being? This is really important to hear because a lot of people get this idea that meditation is kind of dry, it's like hard work, but we do it because we're supposed to. So it's really good to hear this aspect of the practice that is very moist <laughs> just to you know use that that simile you know it's it's not dry it's meant to be moist because there's a lot of healing emotional psychological and ultimately spiritual healing that comes and it really teaches us this essential truth which is Life is hard. I'm no doubt about it. And there's difficulties in the spiritual life, just like there's difficulty in, in avoiding spiritual life, spiritual practice. But the flavor of awakening all along is an inner pleasure. It's not like bitter medicine, bitter medicine, bitter medicine, bitter medicine for the first, you know, 200 lifetimes. And then eventually, you know, we get some joy at the end. It feels right, it feels good, all the way through. Somebody's asking about the name of the book. So Shelley has been teaching from the book, Listening to the Heart, by two wonderful teachers. They're um, a married couple, Kittasaro and Tanisara. And they used to be a Buddhist monk and nun, and then they left, we say in the early Buddhist tradition, they took the robes off and were no longer monastics and became a married couple. And they've been teaching um, in the West now for quite a while. Have a retreat center in South Africa, actually. Um, and I think they're both British, they born in England. And you can see, you know, with this list of five jonic factors, connecting, sustaining, joy ease one pointedness, it's really going from more gross qualities, wholesome qualities of the mind to more subtle. And so as our you know skill develops, taking care of the heart, taking care of the heart, body and mind, which is really what this practice of Samadhi is part of practice that's about unifying, or stabilizing present moment awareness it's all in the service of seeing things as they are and we're really learning how to use these five factors so when the mind is more distracted and superficial then we're going to emphasize the first two and three and when the mind is more settled the first two aren't that needed so when you're already feeling a lot of joy and then Moving into the fourth Janic factor of ease sukha is the Pali word it's a kind of satisfaction or contentedness and it just arises naturally when there's been enough joy enough lightness suffusing the body and mind then the heart goes you know what it doesn't say it in words of course you know what I don't need to go anywhere. I don't need to do anything. And the visceral energetic sense is, like you could even use the word feeling quite held as a visceral expression of that, I don't need to go anywhere. You know, because as a human being, we have a lot of doing, becoming energy because we're not satisfied, right? Anybody perfectly satisfied right now? Probably not. We got agendas because we're not perfectly satisfied but when we have this deeper internal healing that can come in meditation practice there will be moments when that quality of satisfaction ease contentment will rise up and pervade the body and the mind and in those moments there will be this energetic sense this inner sense nobody has to go anywhere nobody has to become anything and that will feel like ease or contentment or satisfaction in a, in a kind of inner sense. Ah, oh, totally okay being here. Right here, just as it is. Don't need the moment to be different. And that's what that fourth quality uh, feels like. Remember initially it will be quite faint this is already a subtle quality of contentment contentedness and it will be faint but by now hearing about it the mind will be naturally a little bit more interested in it so when you get into a more settled place in a particular sit then ideally you'll remember oh yeah there's that quality of sukha you know as a um Indo-European uh, language, Sanskrit, Pali, the word sukha is related to the word sugar. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's sweet, ease, ah. Right? So you want to you wanna be curious. Is there any ease in the body, in the heart, in the mind? Any ease, however faint, however subtle, that's lingering in the moment. So that as I'm, like if you're working with the breath, as I'm breathing in, as the breath is going out, could I have that wholesome intention to notice the ease as I'm breathing in, to notice the ease as I'm breathing out? And if to the degree that we can detect it, sense it, even if it's subtle, then there's that natural and wholesome intention, well, may it spread as I'm breathing in, may it spread as as I'm breathing out, right? So that... And this is a, this would be a very natural intention to arise in the mind. It's not like I've got to want to recognize the ease or I've got to want to make it spread. That will be a very natural intention because it's a very healing quality. Of course, I want it to suffuse, to drench, to spread to every aspect of this heart, body, mind. Why not? Right? And that that kind of deeper emotional, psychological, spiritual healing that comes by keeping contentment, sukha in mind, as you're breathing in, as you're breathing out, you see how it helps the other, the most subtle of the five, come into view. So ikagata. I really love how Ajahn Sameda, one of our more senior Western teachers in the early Buddhist tradition, insight meditation tradition, he says about Ekagata, this fifth jhanic factor, it's the one point, right? Because it's usually translated as one-pointedness. It's the one point that includes everything. And this is where jhana, jhanic fact, it's all about unification, right? So it's not, when we hear one-pointedness, we roll right back with the first factor of connecting, oh yeah, I gotta connect with one thing, like the breath at the tip of the nose, or the mantra, or loving kindness, if you're doing a loving kindness meditation, I just gotta be with that one thing. But now we're at a place in the practice where the one thing is the totality of the present moment. So it is one thing, but it's an all-inclusive one thing. And it's important for us to understand this at least on this intellectual level, so that when we're in the experiential level, it will make sense that the one thing is all inclusive. So we're breathing in. That's why sometimes I'll use the word "space" because it has more it's both a thing. oh yeah, I'm aware of the space at the present moment, but but it's a very inclusive thing. And the words are never going to be it, of course. The words we use are just pointing the attention to something that's subtle and true and here and now. It's like this background, it's always here but it's almost always missed. This background nature of the mind itself, not the activity in the mind but the space of the mind or the space of the present moment and this has to do. With equanimity, dispassion, and understanding the nature of the mind, this term ikagata. And it's, it's opening and discerning and keeping in mind this fifth quality of ikagata that really helps strengthen that unification, that stability of present moment awareness because it brings in this wisdom factor of dispassion that the wisdom in the mind is starting to recognize something that remains untouched even as disturbing or beautiful experiences come and go and that's why it's another reason why the word concept of space can be initially useful or another image that's used is like a mirror that remains untouched no matter what the mirror is reflecting. And that really helps. Akagata is often associated with that quality of equanimity and dispassion. So these are the five jhanic factors, and I just encourage you to to learn them, to memorize them. Um, and that way you can, um, you know, just naturally they'll bring to mind like at the beginning of a sit even before you sit you might just remind yourself oh yeah there are these natural capacities muscles you could say of my mind the muscle to connect to things just as they are the muscle to stay interested to sustain that awareness on this non-conceptual level this capacity to experience joy This lightening or buoyancy, enlivened bright quality, this capacity for the heart to heal from discontentment to contentedness and the satisfaction not needing to go anywhere, and this capacity to feel uh, unmoved, untouched immune, yet at the same time being right in the middle, but not bothered by what's coming and going. Okay, with everything that's moving. This is the sense of space, the one-pointedness. We're becoming the one point that includes everything, the space of the present moment. So we're not so bothered by what's happening, what's coming and going. So that's probably enough for me. And be really nice to hear from people in the group, your own reflections, what you've been learning, what's been challenging. Yeah, anybody want to begin the conversation? What have you been learning? What questions are arising about this topic tonight? And it's something for us to experiment with, not to believe in. So in little ways, like we can maybe think of a couple of scenarios, maybe one in a meditative sense and then another more in daily life where we might be feeling dead to the world. And we might just, like the next time we're feeling totally exhausted, and you know, of course, if we need more sleep, we should get more sleep. And I'm a big believer when I can in an afternoon nap. So, you know, I I think resting is a good thing. Most of us tend to be uh, working too hard. But there are times when, dullness and sleepiness is a way for our heart to avoid what's difficult so that's really where this comes in where we're feeling heavy sleepy and dull because either it's become a habit for the mind or because we're afraid or we're averse to what's going on and initially you know we might be telling ourselves, kind of, that scolding parent, oh, you should do this, you should do that. So, we might want to change that up in daily life and ask the question, well, what, honey, you know, like literally talking to ourselves in a kind way, honey, what are you willing to do right now? What in the whole spectrum of things that could be done are you interested in doing? Well, why don't you try doing that? Because once we start doing one thing, the heart might be inclined to do the next thing or another thing, and we might in a roundabout way get to that thing the scolding parent was telling us we really need to do now. Because the, what, what we might need to break through is the idea of helplessness. I'm feeling so tired. I'm feeling so heavy. I can't do anything. So we want to challenge that notion. Well, what can you do? What, what what are you willing to do? Maybe you're just willing to stand up and go to the bathroom. Maybe that's just a start. Or get a glass of water. Oh yeah, I can do that. I can go get a glass. And it's not like a trick. Yeah, and then I'm going to throw this in. You know, once you get that glass of water, then I'm going to make you do this other thing. We're really just curious about what happens when the mind engages life and does the next thing and just notice the energy that the relative absence of the sleepiness and the dullness when the mind engages life or shows up and then like in a meditative sense it might be like how about you know my mind's really sleepy so first there's just the recognition that the mind's sleepy and then you might just ask yourself well maybe you know would you be willing as you're breathing in to just repeat those words in your mind breathing in is like this breathing out is like this and the effort to simply repeat those words silently in our heart might actually brighten the mind bring some energy into the mind or that effort like another way to do it is like Could you notice in this next inhalation, could you notice more details of the physicality of breathing in? Can you notice the midpoint of the inhalation or the midpoint of the exhalation? So we're making the mind work a little bit because we're asking it to notice the midpoint and just then just see what the effect is. Does it brighten the heart or mind? Good, who would like to go next? Yeah, and this came later. I don't think the Buddha made this, uh, talked about this, but in um, a pretty well-known manual that was written in the 3rd century CE, so 700 or so years after the time of the Buddha, they line up the five hindrances with one of each of the five factors. So connecting removes dullness, sustaining removes doubt you could probably guess joy removes ill will when there's a lot of joy in the heart not so likely we're going to be angry or irritated when there's a lot of sukha a lot of that ease remember I said you feel like health so restlessness is removed and then wanting is removed with stillness because that's the very definition of equanimity and dispassion it's like the mind is enjoying the peace of not wanting that's really what that space is you we can't really recognize the space of the present moment and want something at the same time yeah, other thoughts about practice or just reflections, questions? What comes to mind? Even though, you know, in the greater sense, we cultivate the samadhi, this unification, because it allows the heart to see things as they are, to have insight, which liberates the mind and heart. But there's so much psychological, emotional healing that happens because we do this work i mean it's it's really therapeutic and one of the nice things about the chapter is uh stories about he had he got typhoid fever when he was a monk in thailand and he was basically in bed most of three years and just could not heal and uh but he you know he had his practice it's basically all he had and uh and just, just the kind of healing that happened. So it will be both emotional but also a lot of physical healing. Now, that doesn't mean it's not a miracle that's going to cure every uh, physical illness. But it really, what healing, emotional and physical, can happen happens with samadhi. It really allows, it's kind of removing, it's because like another way to describe the experience of unification is the heart and mind and body is not working against itself so everything in the body heart and mind comes into sync and it's what is it getting unified around what is it coming into sync with this sort of it's harmonizing with love or acceptance or ease it's getting out of the way so that whatever healing, emotional and physical healing capacity are built in to the mind-body system, they can do their work. Because there's nothing working against it. That's what the samadhi or the unification does. It removes the distortions or the disturbances that are in our heart, in our mind, in our body, counterproductive, working against it ease and health and well-being and so this is uh, what this means is basically everybody no matter how difficult your life situation is because obviously you know if we're starving or if we're being oppressed it's not so easy to do this kind of practice right because you can see like just to have the privilege of having some time to do it that's a real privilege and when we have a lot of other disturbances in our heart because of being mistreated or whatever hungry not so easy to do so but everybody has an incentive no matter how difficult the circumstance to do the best we can to bring to support this natural capacity to be whole that's another way of thinking about unification it's experiencing the fullness or wholeness of a mind or heart that's undivided, not fragmented, right? And the the truth is, the unfortunate truth is some of us will have more favored circumstances than others to do this work, and we should support everybody to do it as much as possible. And for some people, it means like feeding them or helping them uh, no longer be marginalized or abused. Right? And for other people, it's just like staying out of the way and giving them a quiet space or giving them a little encouragement. But we have an incentive to d- develop the heart, cultivate the heart, train the heart as much as we can, given our circumstance, given our health, given all these factors, some of which, you know, we can't do much about. yeah thanks for sharing that powerful story joe about your practice and it's just a testimony to yeah the kind of healing that naturally like joe says that just naturally percolates up we don't understand why it arose in that particular moment but like joe shared the takeaway is it felt right i don't need to explain it to myself it just felt right what happened we have time for a couple more folks to share yeah and and one thing that might kind of make it clear is those of you who have raised kids uh it's like such an or those of you who have intimate partners like i haven't raised kids but i i've been in a partnership now for about 30 years and uh or have a dear friend that's really suffering and uh It's very interesting uh, to, in a very honest, clear way, to sense how justified I feel getting tight suffering because they're suffering. But does my suffering contribute to their well-being? No. But, But it just feels so natural to get tight When there's a lot of suffering now this is true when we read the news about somebody who's really in a bad place difficult place or like your example then of being in a meeting or doing social justice work and being around people that are experiencing a lot of difficulties because of that maybe um and it it can almost feel insulting to somebody's suffering for my heart to be at ease my body to be calm and to be for my heart to be at ease so in places that aren't too charged start to experiment with this like i'll give you an example that happened i forget if it was this morning or yesterday but our cat which is an outdoor cat a lot of the day um caught a chipmunk and uh you know and i don't know if you know the sound of a chipmunk when it's caught by a cat but it has this very high-pitched you know and as a mammal, I think we it cuts deep you know that sound. And so it's like a real training to hear that if there's something I can do or something that when my partner can do, then we do it. But if there's nothing to do, there's nothing to do. But what we also are practicing is not getting tight because a, a being may be killed. Or in the, you know, being harmed and hurt and experiencing a lot of pain. So it's really good practice. So simple things like that, or like when you're reading the news about some terrible thing that's happening, you know, another black person gets shot uh, in a in a you know terrible inappropriate way, and uh, you know, like what what is a useful way to show up even when I'm all alone and I'm just reading the news on my computer and I'm seeing that like what's going on in my body what's going on in my heart and mind what's helpful what's not helpful what's skillful what's not skillful and not in a judgmental sense but in a like I just I want to show up in a full way here in a way that's contributing not in a way that's adding more suffering so how do I relate how do I hold? And that's how we get you basically develop the skill because once you're in a meeting, that's like postgraduate level work, you know. So we have to start where it's simpler. It's not so complicated. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website